This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Eugene Witvak. Dr. Witvak is an adjunct professor at Harvard, the, the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. He's also the president and CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Optimization. We're going to talk to Dr. Witvak about what trends he's watching, what he's most focused on, about the Institute, and a lot more. Dr. Litvak, Jane, can you take Jane? Can you take a moment? Tell us about the Institute for Healthcare Optimization. Tell us about your career. Then we'll talk to you about what you're most focused on for this year and a lot more. Thank you. Uh, let me start with saying uh, something about myself because I have not a pretty usual trajectory to to Harvard and our Institute for Healthcare Optimization. I'm from the Soviet Union, particularly in Ukraine. And I came to United States in 1988 and applied uh, to at 1978. And practically like several, many others, I should say, will call American spy and I was de uh, denied exit visa. So we, my wife and I were waiting for 10 years. Uh, when I was in my 20s, uh, my interest was only uh, my interest was in applied mathematics, particularly it's part of operations management. However, when I was in my 20, my interest was concentrated only on the first, on the second part, mathematics. When I got older and I hoped to think wiser, my interest started concentrating on the first word, applied. So I came to the US in the summer of 1988 and I used to, back from Soviet Union, I used to correspond with many scientists in the United States in my field, which was computer and telecommunication networks. And when I came here, I met with many of them, had phone calls, and they suggested, I asked for their advice. What should I do in my career in the United States? And they suggest you can go to banking, airlines, whatever you choose, just don't go to healthcare. Don't go to healthcare because they cost plus reimburse and they don't necessarily care about efficiency. After 10 years of fighting for the exit visa from Soviet Union, for me, that was like a red flag for a bull. So uh, I proceeded to exactly the opposite. So the early years in the United States, I was working on different screening model. At that point, HIV screening for HIV was a focus. So I was working on screening for HIV at the Harvard School of Public Health. Then, much later, the healthcare cost gained national attention. And I started using my background in operations management and consulting at my general hospital, collaborating with anesthesiologist Mike Long there. We started developing a new variability methodology, which was the new way to address cost quality in, uh, equation. In 2009, my colleagues, there were several of them at that point, and I founded our Institute for Healthcare Optimization, which abbreviated as AHO. Its purpose was to apply our variability methodology to help hospitals to reduce overcrowding, stress on nurses, medical errors, mortality, while improving hospital margin. That was you know, pretty ambitious goal. But again, we wanted, to, we wanted to prove that we can document success stories. So I think uh, success of, of our projects 
and we have quite a few around the world, mostly in the US, of course, should be credited or modus operandi, which we are acting in a different form as consulting, consultant. First, we don't write just a report and give it to the hospital with which we collaborate. We engage with them, with, uh, with them, with the hospital and clinics until our recommendations are implemented. And instead of us uh, giving them report on the gl in glossy prints, we are waiting until they give us the report and the ROI they achieved. Only at that point, we practically disengage. I shouldn't say completely disengage because we're still in touch. We, we disengage with the hospital we work with. So that is important. Another important thing that I should emphasize, that our methodology, which I'm going to describe in a minute, our methodology requires a significant change in the hospital culture. So I never call that our work as consulting the hospitals. It's rather collaborative work with the hospital. So we view, uh, uh, again, all our work engagement with hospitals as collaboration. And I personally always give them a credit rather than ourselves. What we do, we just guide them through different steps of the implementation and analysis. Without the hospital commitment to change, no matter what we do, the project would not be successful. And for us, it's critical. We never engage with the hospital. We even tell them up front until they are ready for implementation and to change in some way the, the healthcare delivery culture uh, that we cannot be engaged because we don't want to fail. And tell us a little bit about, tell us a little about when you engage in a hospital with a hospital, tell us what that looks like. Tell us what that engagement looks like. What are you doing with them? What areas are you focusing on? Give us a little bit more insight into like the specifics of what you're doing with the hospital. Okay, happy to do that. Uh, first of all, again, uh, it may sound strange, but we do not have any marketing department. We do not, except for presentations and scientific publications, we do not uh, market our work to, to the hospitals. Uh, typically, what happened, the hospitals, hospital C-suite, somebody from the C-suite, they call us and ask uh, to collaborate and to help them to, their concern could be either nurse shortage or ED overcrowding or uh, access to the surgeries all, uh, all of the above. So I have to, to say a little bit about what our project is. If you look at the hospital bed occupancy at practically any hospital around the globe, you will see the hospital census, the bed occupancy looking like a EKG. It's highly variable with a lot of peaks and troughs. Many years ago, I would say probably 30 years ago, we used to staff hospital uh, census to the peak in bed occupancy. And with a lot of waste, because whenever the occupancy was below the peak, that was a waste. However, that would allow us to avoid overcrowding, nurse stress, etc. But nobody can afford it today. So how do we stop the hospitals today? Typically, we stop hospitals based on the average, I emphasize the word average, patient demand of the last year. How much is staffing? 
typical hospital staffing expenses are 50 to 60% of the hospital budget. It's a huge number. And of course, nobody in the world can staff at the peak anymore. So we staff based on the average demand of the last year. So what happened when we have not average demand, when we have the peaks, because they still exist. During the peaks, our hospitals are stressed. We have overcrowded ED, we have medical errors, we have mortalities. Our nurses are stressed, and this has been known as the main re reason why they are leaving the hospital. So all problems coming out of there, of this scenario. So what are our options? We cannot afford staffing to the peaks. We cannot staff at the average because we have all these clinical consequences that I just mentioned. So it looks like a reconcilable challenge, a reconcilable problem. Uh, the good news, however, that when uh, 20 years ago we started drilling deeper and look at what is the nature of those peaks and valleys. And surprisingly, I would say against our anticipation, uh, we found that those peaks and, and troughs are not due to the patient arrivals to the emergency department, but they are rather uh, uh, due to the peaks and troughs in elective admissions, mostly surgical. That's a bad news, but it's a good news as well, because it gives us an exit from this unfortunate scenario of staffing at the peak or staffing at the average. So our goal became smoothing the peak. And that what exactly what we are doing with the hospital. We help them to schedule, to reschedule their elective admission, not just surgery, surgical. It could be cath lab as well, to smooth them to achieve uh, this goal. When they smoothed, then we staff at the average level, and the average is about uh, with a small deviation up and down. It's more or less reflect the hospital performance, and we don't have these peaks and valleys. So that's a good news. What was surprising to us is the magnitude of the effect. I can tell you I never anticipated that. Let me give you just a few examples that we are so proud of. Cincinnati Children's. There, and I have to name a few names because again, the credit should go to the hospital that implemented that. So uh, the hospital at Cincinnati Children's uh, have been initiated by one of their leading surgeons, Fred Reichman, and their CEO, Jim Anderson. What their goal was, they budgeted the new tower of the cost of 100 plus million in order to accommodate those peaks. Once the schedule has been changed, when we smooth those peaks and valleys in schedule, they avoided the entire uh, the entire by already by building already in budgeted tower for over 100 million plus their mar annual margin increased by well over 100 million a year that's just one example another example the ottawa hospital in canada led by their ceo jack kids 40 lives saved in one year attributed to, to this project plus multi-million margin improvement leading canadian hospital number one which is number four, rent number four in the world, Toronto General, again initiated by their chief of surgery. So surgeons do not suffer from them. They're the first beneficiaries. Uh, Shaf Keshavji, he's a world-renowned surgeon, a former uh, president of the American Association of Thoracic Surgeons, and he, uh, their CEO, Kevin Smith, with his full support, 
huge impact. And we finished this project right before COVID and when other hospitals were closing the doors, they were performing surgeries according to them more than ever. Another, uh, and I'm, I promised to finish this list because I could continue forever. It's on our website. No, 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 no need to, no need to. Tell us, Dr. Litvak, how do people meet you? How do they find out more about the Institute for Healthcare Optimization? How do they get in touch with, with Eugene Litvak? Well, they, first of all, we have a website and they found us. We, they, they just send us either text or they call me or, you know, there are different ways of, of doing that. Another way why they are attracted to what we are doing, and we're working not just with hospitals. We work, for example, with outpatient clinic in New Orleans, still work with them, uh, and they serve the underserved population. And yet their waiting time is the next day or the same day. It's the same as concierge medicine, just for uh, underinsured. So how they get in touch? Uh, another way why they learned about us, it's a book. Uh, by the Joint Commission, I edited uh, two books. The last one was published in 2018 called Optimizing Patient Flow. It was, was a long title. Uh, so they uh, found us uh, by uh, through the Joint Commission. Or I would like to tell people that probably the most full description of what we are doing and the whole story is going to be published next month in a new book by the veteran healthcare journalist, Mark Taylor, uh, calling Hospital Heal Thyself, uh, coming out next month. Well, fantastic. And I know Mark Taylor well, what a terrific person, terrific uh, healthcare journalist. Dr. Litvak, thank you for what you do. And thank you for joining us on the Backers Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure to visit with you and give Mark Taylor our best. Thank you. I definitely will. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.